This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. Earlier this month, the Malaysian Meteorological Department had issued an early monsoon warning that the annual northeast monsoon, which usually lasts from November to March, could see a higher rainfall this year. Um, and as we've already seen floods happen in several parts of the country in the past month, and people are still um, fearing a similar disaster as we saw in the Klang Valley last year, I'm joined today by consultant emergency physician to Dr. Alzamani Muhammad Idris for some flood safety tips so that we can all keep ourselves and um, our loved ones safe. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Alza. Uh, thank you, Suan. <laughs> I think, you know, because everyone's sort of um, on the edge, you know, everyone's worried about um, floods happening again. And we've already seen very um, minor flash floods happening in several parts of the Klang Valley. I think it's good to make sure that everyone has some basic knowledge, you know, so that we can make sure that we don't um, fall ill or we don't get injured. And, you know, I'm hoping to sort of categorize our conversation today into what people can do during and after a flood as well. Um, let's start with what happens during a flood. Dr. Alza, you know, um, I think one of the more common things that we hear about is people getting injured um, when floods happen. How likely are um, injuries, you know, and what sort of injuries do you usually see? Okay, um, when um, any places uh, inundated with uh, uh, floodings, first of all, it's the problem related to water. And um, these people can be at risk of being a victim of uh, drowning, for example. Uh, so that is the first thing. One can just uh, easily, uh, you know, fall into the water or even uh, someone driving because you could not see the depth of the water. Suddenly, uh, your vehicle could also uh, be uh, drowning or carried by uh, the current uh, of the water. Uh, some are driving expensive cars, you know, under the car, the electronic uh, system, and the car can just stall uh, midway uh, mm. and you trapped uh, along the way. So that's the first thing, uh, the drowning risk. Apart from that, we're talking about floodings and great floodings uh, whereby the water comes from the you know overflowed rivers. They may carry uh, not just water alone, but a lot of things, um, the debris, floating uh, materials uh, that could also um, injure people along the way in water. So um, they can get uh, all kinds of uh, injuries. So sometimes the structure may even collapse. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, again, one can get soft tissue injuries. They can get wounds. Um, they can get bleedings. Even some uh, to the extent of uh, getting uh, fractures, concussions, you know. Uh, so all these um, could happen because of the dynamic nature of the water that, uh, that moves. So um, this could be it. Uh, and don't forget, in the water, there may be some uh, creatures. <laughs> so if um, you are uh, staying somewhere near the uh, river or even near the coast, there can be crocodiles as well. Uh, so uh, you could be attacked by uh, crocodiles uh, and snakes. So all this um, being a risk, getting attacked, um, uh, would uh, put anyone at great risk uh, during uh, floodings. So, yeah, I've got to take note of all that, mm. of the possibilities. Is electrocution a worry? Yes. So, actually, water uh, it conducts electricity. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so sometimes the water, as it rises, it rises uh, from the lower level. Uh, and uh, if uh, it gets into um, contact uh, with uh, electric, you know, some appliances are attached uh, to the socket. Uh, so when water touches that, uh, it could conduct electricity. So anyone, you know, water there and you are in contact with that water. So the electricity would travel uh, and injure you for, for the, the very um, simple reason of it being a conductor. Mm. And so I guess all these reasons are why we shouldn't simply just walk in flood waters as well, right? You need to consider the possibility of um, the debris, like you mentioned, or electrocution, or even it, depending on where you are, the possibility of um, crocodiles in the water as well. Yeah, so there are two situations. First situation is that you're trying to get away mm-hmm. uh, from the water and along uh, the way, um, just be wary of um, when you are um, trying to get to the safe areas. If sometimes, uh, you know, getting your vehicle, um, driving over uh, a water spot whereby you cannot see the depth is actually uh, a risk. It's a risk that uh, you take that would make your car stall (laughs) along the way. But on the other hand, some are trying to help others uh, to Mm -hmm. evacuate and whatnot. So uh, when they get into the water, they have to uh, be sure, you know, that they are covered in the shoes, the rubber shoes uh, as they are approaching the place that they want to help people with because be on the lookout as well you know if there are some appliances uh, and there are electricity so uh, they can be electrocuted so have a big eye uh, and be on the lookout and the most unfortunate thing to happen is that in the process of trying to help others uh, you become a victim Sometimes you know, the people you want to help are all right, <laughs> but you know, suddenly you are the one who becomes a victim and uh, causing problem and trouble for agencies, more work <laughs> for people. So you need to, to prevent uh, from that happening. Mm. Um, actually, if you uh, learn disaster management, mm-hmm. there are always four phases of um, managing disaster. And these four phases include the phase one is number one is to prevent or mitigate meaning that if we can prevent the disaster or mitigate the disaster, we should. For example, uh, floodings, we can at least mitigate. We can't prevent uh, rain. <laughs> you know, We can't prevent whatever can happen in nature, mm-hmm. but still mitigate. We could do a lot of things by making sure that the drainage system functions, there's no blockages. And this is something we do during peacetime, not like, uh, you know, tomorrow is going to be, uh, uh, there'll be problems. But you could do it because you have your community groups, the local authorities, uh, and if you work together even in the neighborhood, uh, this is a huge thing that could uh, prevent floodings. So that's prevention or mitigation. But the next phase uh, would be preparedness, whereby you have to prepare in case it happens and it can happen, it had happened. Uh, so preparing means that if your place is a uh, Uh, flood prone, then you make sure that you have your documents at a safe place. And when it's during uh, the season, if there is a need to move, you know, important uh, equipments or clear the things on the low ground, uh, you could do it. Make sure that you've got car insurance that could cover for natural disaster because they are. Uh, And in in preparing also, you need also to, uh, you know, help one another. Nowadays, um, everyone... A lot of people have um, 
this uh, WhatsApp group or Telegram group of the Neighborhood Watch, mm -hmm. uh, Flood Watch, <laughs> and you could help to uh, alert and um, be um, prepared in the sense that if your area is prone to floodings, you uh, know where to go, the makeshift evacuation center. So everyone could assemble uh, there. And usually these are the easy, big spaces, areas such as school, halls, mosques, churches. So uh, those could be converted into temporary, at least, uh, evacuation center. And uh, information could be assembled there. And uh, it would be more organized uh, for people to come and um, provide help. You will find a lot of people want to help during uh, this time, but they need to get to the right place so that they could match the need. Mm -hmm. So those are alongside the preparedness. But uh, subsequent to the preparedness is the response phase uh, for which the floodings actually happen. So you respond. If you prepare well, you could respond better. So mm -hmm. you have your first aid kits, you have the uh, numbers, uh, the hotline numbers that uh, you could call uh, and you know uh, where to go as an evacuation centre if need be. Uh, you have your insurance, you, you know, all things, then you respond better. And finally, once all over, you uh, get to uh, what we call recovery phase for which you take stock of how you responded during that incident. Learn from it. If you didn't buy car insurance before, then you buy car insurance now. And it will lead back to this prevention slash mitigation phase for which you try to prevent better or mitigate better. Some even move houses because, you know, every year <laughs> it's flooding. So, you know, it's a sure thing there will be flooding. So someday just move to a higher place. So things like that. Hmm. And I guess still looking at what happens during a flood, Um, you know, there are people, unfortunately, in Malaysia, we have a lot of people with chronic illnesses, right? People who are on long-term medications, um, people who have to constantly manage their conditions like um, diabetes or chronic kidney disease. Are these people more vulnerable during floods because that makes it more challenging to manage their condition? Yes. Don't forget, um, we just cannot choose the diseases we have. Uh, some are unfortunate. They are, they are bedridden. Some are stroke mm -hmm. patients. Uh, those are the ones that uh, we worry. Some are staying at nursing homes. And during the, the last floodings, there were situations when, you know, the water rise pretty quickly. Uh, they didn't uh, have time to uh, get help, but the neighbor could hear the screamings of the neighbor, you know, the, the, the neighbor's house uh, in which they know there's a stroke patient in, in there. And when the boat comes, that's also a challenge. Because um, to evacuate these people, you know, to lift them, they require it to be lifted um, as a team, uh, safety issues. And um, these patients too, they are prone to have uh, wounds because they are lying um, for a long time, what we call bed sores. Mm -hmm. So with all this, with the flood waters, they are exposed to dirty water and they could get infection. And, um, uh, you know, even all the diapers would be soaked with dirty water and all these aren't good and as you said those who had diabetes uh, hypertension well uh, for these people as long as they are taking their medications per schedule uh, shouldn't be a problem but i see more problems among those um, people who have condition of a stroke or uh, they have wounds like uh, some diabetics uh, they have diabetic foot uh, ulcers for example so with the floodings with the water dirty so they could get infection pretty uh, easily. And, you know, in the water, it's um, soaked 
uh, not just dirt, but there are also bacteria. Uh, there can be viruses. Uh, there would be animals that uh, excretion uh, or um, urine that contain uh, bacteria, such as leptospirosis. Mm-hmm. This can uh, lead to these patients uh, getting severe illnesses mm-hmm. and even death mm-hmm. for that matter. All right, we'll go for a quick break now and continue this discussion when we come back. On the show with me today is consultant emergency physician Dr. Dr. Alzamani Mohamed Idris for Sunflits Safety 101 as we are in the middle of the annual Northeast monsoon season. Keep it here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. We are talking about Flood Safety 101 today together with consultant emergency physician, Dr. Dr. Alzamani Mohamed Idris. Now, before the break, Dr. Alza touched on the dangers that emerge during floods, um, concerns over things like injuries, um, electrocution, as well as what um, people with non-communicable diseases, people who are on medication should um, be on the lookout for, especially while evacuating. Now, Dr. Alza, if we look at what happens at the point of evacuation or immediately right after, right? If, for example, someone realizes they've been injured while evacuating, um, what should they do once they've gotten to that relief center and can find a medical volunteer? Yeah, there there are risks um, when uh, these wounds are exposed, but uh, we have to do it uh, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. So if they are to be evacuated, first we focus on getting them away from the danger of drowning from the water uh, to safety. Um, so uh, once um, uh, we are able to lift them, maybe put on the boat and put uh, push them depending on the, how severe the floodings are. So at the evacuation center, so they could be reassessed. I would recommend for someone with, um, well, uh, any illnesses that require them to take medications, when evacuating them or when they move to the evacuation centers, they should bring together their drugs, their medications, uh, and also the medical documents, because that would be really helpful. So once they are safe at the evacuation center, then we talk uh, about uh, to handle them. Their condition is dynamic, uh, so they may be assessed. There will be people who may volunteer. You know, there are a lot of people. That's why I said if we know uh, we have determined the evacuation center, we centralize all information. The leader there can play a role. If you could uh, assemble and uh, let be known that there is uh, this um, sick person that uh, would require medical attention. So the next thing, you know, there will be people coming uh, who be, how we can help. So we could coordinate uh, and get the help match the needs. So if there are medical volunteers, then we could channel them to assess, you know, uh, whether uh, these uh, the medications, everything, you know, they have uh, and whether the wounds need dressings or whether they need cleanings or they are in the a state of uh, severe uh, illnesses, they are having diarrhea or they are having vomiting away, so all uh, having high fever and all that. So they could assess and determine which patient should be sent to the hospital uh, for um, treatment. Or is uh, something very simple, uh, it could be cleaned easily and continue the medication. So they don't really need to go to the hospital. It, it goes in phases. Uh, save them, assess them, and then determine whether they need further care or it's enough for them to just stay there with uh, their family uh, member because uh, usually there will be uh, the local authorities or even the YBs who come and try to assist them as uh, they could uh, just um, stay there for uh, as a temporary place before they could return to their homes. 
Mm. What are the symptoms that people should look out for after a flood that, you know, might be a red flag for something more serious? Yeah. So um, remember, uh, during the great floodings in Johor many years ago, mm-hmm. um, there were um, many thousands of people evacuated and all. Uh, and um, there wasn't a single death due to drowning. But um, during the recovery phase, um, when you know they, they got home already, there were uh, something like six deaths due to leptospirosis. Mm-hmm. So it's due to infection. Uh, and this is something that people have to be on the lookout. Uh, what is leptospirosis? Uh, leptospirosis is actually um, an infection caused by uh, bacteria. And it usually these bacteria is found in, in animals infected with uh, the, the bacteria. And it's uh, there uh, when they uh, in their urine, in the animal urines, uh, a lot of times in rats. So from the rat urine, there, there's this uh, leptospira bacteria. And um, when it gets into contact uh, with wounds or the mucus, the eyes, it gets into the body or even ingested uh, the water. So uh, they get this infection and this infection would cause them to have a high fever. They could have like chills, feeling cold, and um, it could affect their eyes become reddish. And in fact, the liver could be affected and uh, it manifests uh, by uh, your uh, eyes becoming yellow or what we call jaundice. So all these point towards uh, leptospirosis. So if they uh, find someone having such infection, these people, they will require antibiotics to be given uh, through the blood. And these are the ones that need uh, to be um, admitted to the hospital. It is curable, but they would uh, require the antibiotics to be administered appropriately and uh, fast enough to save them. So that's one, uh, leptospirosis. But after the floodings, usually you find uh, stagnant water uh, and it's a breeding place, perfect breeding places for dengue uh, mosquitoes. And uh, the cases of dengue would rise up and it would be deadly depending on um, the stage of the severity of the dengue that uh, one gets. So uh, for dengue, again, you get fever. But mm-hmm. for dengue, something like you have fever but you do not have the source, meaning that someone who's coughing got fever. I mean, it, you could say that it could be the throat infection, you know, the lung infection, or someone who's passing urine and painful, you could say that, oh, the fever is due to the urinary tract infection, for example, mm-hmm. or there's a wound with pus, uh, you could attribute it to that. But for someone having dengue, they just have high fever, but there is no source, no cause. So it's purely because the mosquito had bitten you and introduced the virus into the blood and gets to the body and cause you to be ill. And in extreme cases, you could even die because um, it could cause leakages in the blood vessels. You know, your The, the blood uh, level could uh, come down. They could be bleeding. So this is uh, the thing that could kill you. Mm. So these are the things just uh, in a simple manner that, you know, you have a fever that you at least need to check. They look at the platelet, uh, you, they could check for dengue, specific dengue tests to determine whether you are actually having dengue or not, things like that. 
Mm. I guess if you early prevention is key, isn't it, with all of these things? So if you know that your your area has just gone through a flood or there is an increase in um dengue cases or, or you know things like that, just be on the lookout and see a GP instead of um putting it off and thinking that oh, you'll be okay after a panadol or two. You know, Dr. Alza, one thing I hear quite often when people have evacuated, I guess in the response stage, is the importance of food and hand hygiene, right? Why is that particularly important? And what are some things that people should um, keep in mind? Yeah, it's uh, we are surrounded by dirty water during floodings. Yeah, uh, We touch the water, we touch our face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, you know, uh, it gets into the body pretty easily. Hence, the reason why we need to get our hands uh, clean uh, because we tend to you know, be in touch with this uh, dirty water in our environment. So if we are able to keep our hands clean, uh, it's the key uh, for us not to getting diarrhea, vomiting from the um, food poisoning, at least. Yeah? Uh, it's also the key way for us to prevent introducing water that has uh, leptospira inside, for example. And all, all this could help prevent uh, such situation. As I said, six people died during the great Johor floodings last time. So um, yeah, 100% agree. Uh, in any case, beware what you touch because you would introduce what you touch to yourself and the people close to you. Mm. And so I guess that's the connection to food hygiene, right? Because you don't want to touch dirty water and then touch your plate or your utensils or eat with your hand and things like that. 100% agree. Mm. I I missed asking this earlier, Dr. Alza, but um, what? how much of a concern is hypothermia considering that people are wet and cold while evacuating? Yeah, uh, we uh, live in tropical country. Uh, so uh, the weather out there is not as cold. The water there is not as um, freezing if we were to uh, stay in temperate countries. So um, in terms of hypothermia, meaning the body low in temperature due to uh, drowning, unless you are really uh, drowned in the water for a long time. And even then, with the water temperature being uh, low, mm-hmm. uh, that cause um, uh, hypothermia. But with our temperature in a tropical country like us, uh, we still have the issue, especially for babies or infants, yeah, um, because uh, of their small size, they could uh, be affected by uh, hypothermia. So we need to keep them uh, warm and we could do them in, in many ways for babies, you know, uh, cuddling them to your body. That would also provide the body heat. And of course, we could use uh, blankets and all uh, to prevent the uh, hypothermia. Mm. Yeah. And what about when in the cleanup process, right? When in the aftermath, usually, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I remember when um, after the Sri Muda floods last year, a lot of people sort of pitched in to help. And there was talk about people taking preventative steps. Is there anything that people should keep in mind before they start cleanup process? And any safety tips? Yeah, so <laughs> during the last flooding, I so remember that I helped... Um, uh, at there, uh, uh, one of the places in Selangor, you will find that uh, there are many steps when you go in there. It will be filled with mud, mm-hmm. the house. Sometimes it's, you know, knee level and all. Yeah, you would have to use the shovel. You have to uh, really scoop them and it's a hard work. And all these, uh, the muds, these are all dirty. Uh, it could be a reservoir of infection as well. 
So you will have to, you should protect yourself in the sense that the boots that you wear, you know, the, um, the rubber boots, the pochukang boots and all. But at the same time, what is left in the ambient, sometimes the germs that you inhale, you may get pneumonia and all. So it's advisable to um, also use the mask uh, as you um, assist, especially in closed environment, in closed houses. So all that is the, is the same if you look at, it, the principle of prevention is still the same, mm-hmm. that you prevent yourself from introduction. So when you're doing that, what you touch as you are scooping the muds and all, you need to wash uh, properly before touching your face, you know, because you could easily introduce leptospirosis, for example, just by touching uh, you know, the plate that you touch or your face and whatnot. So in that sense, I would say that as you help others, make sure you do not become a victim and do it safely. Mm. All right. And to round up our discussion with some prevention tips, Dr. Alza, you know, you mentioned preparing a first aid kit earlier in our discussion. What should people have in their first aid kit, um, especially if they're also on long-term medications? Yeah. So if you stay in uh, flood-prone uh, areas, uh, it's prudent to have a first aid kit and uh, what it should consist. Okay, first of all, something simple. You need your important documents, <laughs> your IC, your passport, yeah, the uh, license, uh, your children's, uh, you know, documents which are important. Their certificates sometimes, you know. So if uh, your place is gonna be washed away, you cannot store them upstairs. I, you should actually uh, put that together uh, where, but it's easy for you to take away. And then number two is uh, your the drugs. If you are already on medications, you know, sometimes your children, they have asthma, you, know, you need the um, the inhalers and all. So you don't want your children to miss uh, all that. Or if you are diabetics, having uh, hypertension or heart disease, so you do not want to miss out because uh, you could be sick. And sometimes there would be days whereby you uh, miss uh, your medications and that's not good. And you could actually suffer not, from uh, the floods, but uh, from the effect of not taking your uh, medication. So that's simple, two things. But if you were to prepare a disaster first aid or disaster uh, running back, there are recommendations uh, out there that you could include in that bag. Uh, for example, torchlight, very simple. And plus, don't don't forget, flashlight with batteries. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you got a flashlight uh, mm-hmm. in Back, but you forgot that the battery, you know, already um, not usable. Sometimes you need to get away at night. And when, when you cannot see, you could uh, be injured. But it helps a lot to have the torchlight for you to get to safety. And you could have a simple first aid kit in the sense of bandages, in the sense that it has a bit of gauze or some uh, ID in case there are some wounds that you sustain uh, along the way. And some painkillers as simple as a Panadol, and if you uh, want, you could also have a raincoat because it may rain uh, along the way. And uh, you you could also um, include some uh, snacks uh, in them, or, or mineral water, or even uh, some go to the extent of having canned food with a can opener. So if you're hungry, so along the way, all this. Uh, would help that um, while uh, waiting that you have something. Some even put in the same bag something simple like whistle uh, mm. to attract attention in the middle of the night. For example, if your house is uh, you know filled with water, you want to attract attention. So uh, there are boats sometimes coming outside. So if you can blow that whistle, 
then they would come to you. Something very simple like that. So if you have all that, that would be uh, quite uh, useful uh, along the way. Uh, and nowadays, um, you are dependent on your handphones. So right. your power bank <laughs> will be extremely useful. Uh, and if you have uh, uh, kids, little kids to keep their attention, some uh, rubric puzzles uh, for them to <laughs> take away their focus uh, of the difficulties. Um, and for some, you might want to have a MacGyver uh, Swiss knife <laughs> uh, in the back. Uh, it could be very useful. Sometimes uh, you need to cut something, you know, sometimes you need to uh, modify something um, while you are um, on the way uh, getting out from the place uh, or while you're staying at the place uh, of where you are. But um, still, I think uh, you need to have a good system of calling for help, have the uh, numbers for you uh, to help. Along the way, there are many authorities, uh, local authorities and even uh, non-governmental uh, organizations or even individuals. For example, the um, Angkatan Pertahanan Awam, Bomber. Nowadays, there are also uh, private organizations like TAMS. Uh, they do come uh, trying to uh, assist and help. So if you could, uh, your community have a common place to assemble and to gather the needs. So uh, we need people to assess their some sick people so they could communicate to people who want to provide medical help, for, uh, for example, and uh, so on and so forth. Mm. Information is a key part of that preparedness aspect, isn't it? Very much, yes. Mm. And um, would you have a final message for our listeners um, about um, keeping themselves safe when evacuating from a flood? Uh, yeah, so um, this is, um, we're living with nature. We knew that uh, we had these bad experiences in the past and uh, what can happen will happen, especially what had happened can happen again. Mm -hmm. So uh, we know that we're coming to December and last year's December was a horrible month uh, for all of us uh, because of the floodings and all the damages that it brought to us. So um, I suppose uh, my message to you is that try to mitigate the effect because we cannot prevent the floodings for certain or for sure, but at least we mitigate it. So um, all the places uh, uh, nearby in our neighborhood, you could actually um, make sure there's no obstruction to the flow of the water and things like that and uh, make sure that you have the uh, phone numbers of who to call along the way. Uh, make sure that your cars are insured for uh, natural uh, damages because the usual insurance, if you do not include the disaster damage, natural disaster damage, you would not get compensation. So um, if we are better prepared, <laughs> then we could respond better. And after we had gone through all that uh, last year, and this year too, let's try to prevent or mitigate it better. And if we keep doing that with everyone from uh, at individual level all the way to uh, the governmental level, uh, we would be able to handle and live with nature and all its risks better. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Alza. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've been speaking to Dr. Dr. Alzamani Mohamed Idris, Consultant Emergency Physician, for some Flood Safety Tips 101 on what you should and shouldn't do while evacuating um, a flood or during the cleanup period after as well. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, 
Download the BFM app.